Welcome to the Ross Republic podcast. I'm Adrian, partner for Digital Banking. In this episode, we're talking about driving business transformation via APIs. And I'm joined by Daniel Lee, who has spent the past seven years at one of Germany's largest banks, Commerzbank. His last role was head of API strategy and ecosystems, where he worked as functional lead and product owner with management responsibilities in driving open banking and getting ready for the digital ecosystems game, meaning supporting digital transformation based on banking APIs and developing the internal and external execution strategy, among others. So Daniel, first of all, thanks for taking your time and joining us today. To kick off, would be great if you can give a really short introduction about yourself. Uh, yeah, thanks for the introduction, Adrian. I mean, you have introduced me um, uh, for big parts already, and also hi to all listeners. <laughs> um, and yeah, I've I've been with Commerce Bank for the past couple of years, driving open banking, and now I joined Axway. They are one of the leaders in delivering full service API management. One of the customers being Commerce Bank, and yeah, I'm I'm helping them to grow in the EMEA business. Hopefully, mm -hmm. very interesting. Is has there been any um, fintech or banking related news that you found very interesting recently? All right, that's that's a great <laughs> way to kick kick things off. Um, good question. Recent news. You know, as a Revolut fan and customer, I would go with the news that they have been having the so recently they they have been having a funding round and. They just valued them at, I believe, over $30 billion. Um, and, you know, that's more than Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank's worth, uh, that's worth more than uh, many other banks who have over 100 years of history, while Revlet did this in only six years. So uh, that's very impressive. And I believe that's also pointing the way ahead for, for example, for banking, that, that banking is heavily being disrupted and it will continue to be. Yeah. For sure. Are you using um, uh, Revolut for daily banking or for traveling abroad? Um, how do you use Revolut? <laughs> uh, we, we could do we could do an own uh, episode on this. Uh, how I use uh, uh, Revolut. It has some uh, different reasons. It's uh, mainly for private reasons. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean the the opportunities are also growing. I mean Revolut is now um, attacking um, having embedded. Uh, travel management in their yeah. banking app too. So um, yeah, so that's yeah. that's very, very, uh, very impressive. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, well, I'm using basically number 26 as my main bank account in Germany. And then interestingly, I really like Revolut's budgeting features and visualization. So I, so I always um, deposit some money into my Revolut account um, on a monthly basis just for kind of like grocery shopping and small small spendings um, and like all the direct debits they like for paying for internet and electricity that's all going through my number 26 account and like uh, daily spendings um, are basically going through Revolut. So I'm, I'm yeah, and I also love, love the company, I love the app and um, just the fact that they're shipping so many features on a monthly basis, it's astonishing. And um, like the customer focus and the speed um, it's very interesting. And as you said, it can really pinpoint a way ahead where banking is going. Um, from my side, my piece of news was basically Square, which launched business bank accounts. Um, I'm currently working on a project where I look quite extensively at how banks and fintechs serve smaller businesses. And if you look at the US market, Square is doing a phenomenal job in um, really innovating around small business financial needs. 
And they originally started out on payments processing and then have gradually added and diversified more and more um, products um, like a debit card and our checking account. So basically all revenue that you make through Square goes directly into your account um, that Square is now providing themselves as well. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's um, a very interesting development, especially since I feel like there are a lot of um, discussions around if fintechs are just features, like, uh, for example, a debit card for expense management, is that just a feature or can you actually build a company behind this? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think like Revolut and Square, they all show ways how to how to actually grow the company by diversifying um, or, or not actually diversifying, but actually building out the product portfolio more and more around the customer needs and the pain points that you've identified. And I think that's, uh, for me, Square, that's a really an innovator when it comes to business banking. But now based on your background, you mentioned it, um, banking APIs, and now you switch basically from the consumer side to, to the provider side with Xway. Um, I wanted to take this opportunity um, to talk to you and to discuss um, about how to drive business transformation via APIs. And mm-hmm. if you take a macro perspective, like the big changes that are happening in banking right now, you know, you could talk about technologies, regulation, shifting customer needs. But from your perspective and your experience, what would you say is like the are the key triggers that help or that stimulate banks' activities now in APIs and opening up their data and products to the outside mm-hmm. world? Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, the project that you mentioned that you will be working on, I think that sounds very, very interesting. So you definitely have to keep me in the loop. <laughs> I will, yeah. <laughs> Regarding this. Um, now, ecosystem triggers. Yes, that's a, a very huge topic. I I want to be very clear about this. And the truth is, if you are a bank, um, you are being disrupted, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not. And no other industry, basically, over the last hundreds of years has faced as much competition from new entrants split across product lines than banking is facing today. And the question is, what do you choose to do? And the reasons why we have this change, um, I think they can can be broken down to three things. I call them CTC, which stands for customer, technology, competition. And the first two lead to the third. And the first two also tend to be the ones being clearer. So... I just go, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to talk briefly about them. One customer, you know, customer behavior, it's, it's changing faster than anyone could ever predict. Um, banking wise, one example, 20 years ago, customers would visit a branch twice a month. Um, today in many countries, it's, it's less than once a year. If, if I would ask you, Adrian, how, what, well, when was the last time you went to the branch? Uh, I, I'm pretty sure you would give me um, a, a similar answer to that. And yeah. all in all, that's a 95% reduction in branch visits. So the only need for a physical branch nowadays is if something has gone wrong. It's sort of a channel of last resort. Yeah. And the future is and will be centered on mobile. So that's one. Two, technology, well, that's a no-brainer too, I guess. AI, DLT, cloud, API, you name it. All of these technologies lead to embedded banking, or hopefully they lead to embedded banking when used in the right way. And, you know, embedded banking, embedded everything. uh, As a business, that's what you want to aim for. And increasing internet speed on the other hand, has enabled and accelerated this trend. 
All right, that was one and two. Now comes the, um, in my opinion, the interesting part three, which is competition. It's a consequence of the two of the two trends, and it's the one that might hurt most, and at the same time makes it uh, most interesting. So, whoever managed to successfully react to the first two things we mentioned comes out on top. As easy as that. So, let's have a closer look on who has made it. Today, it's the apples, the alphabets. The ten cents of the world, but looking back, let's say 15, 20 years ago, the top five, the top ten companies used to be very mixed in terms of business sector, oil, automotive, um, even financial services, and today it's only tech, and they have also started a trend which is attacking financial services and delivering services better and faster. And when you oversimplify the value of banking, I would say uh, it's just three things: it's to store money, to move it, and credits. And you know, basically, all of this is being undermined by tech alternatives, especially in the B 2 C world. Whereas B 2 B wise, there's more, let's say, survival time since businesses and large companies have to fight the same wars. But not moving because of this. Could be a fallacy because eventually looking at the b2b2c consequences that's gonna harm all parties except for the customer and the competitor they chose because they were able to deliver deliver the service they needed embedded in the world they are living in so yep. i think these are the main triggers for that macrospective view for these ecosystems games do you think um, banks have this already placed on a strategic agenda or you know you, you've been working on api platforms yourself um, a lot of banks have now opened up their um, developer platforms and launched them and are just looking for new partnerships in this regard but i don't feel like this is a true strategic driver or that they're really seeding the next generation of their business through this that it's more, much more regulatory driven than because what you're basically describing is that this should be really business model driven that there is this huge wave coming um, based on the, on the changes that you just mentioned that makes this typical linear banking model obsolete and actually places and really reshuffles the whole uh, industry dynamic where you will have big tech players maybe owning the customer interface or just any company that owns the, the customer already, you know, whether it's um, a consumer company or a car brand or also maybe in the business space, accounting software tools, um, and all in all, banks will be pushed maybe back in the value chain. And I mean, the story has been there for since open banking came along a few years ago. Um, but do you think it can be possible to survive if they will be pushed back and are just, as you mentioned, they will be just a balance sheet provider um, or maybe a safeguarding party? But um, I mean, that's that's it. And can you make can you make margins of this is a big question maybe but um yeah do you see like signals in the market that banks are actually shifting or that they still trying to digitalize the past um i like your view and i i agree to this and i think you mentioned a few topics to speak about now in in this one question uh, so let's let's do it step by step so first of all regulatory pc2 well it has started a wave of initiatives and also a bit of innovation, in, especially in fintech. You know, thousands of banks opened their gates, um, more than hundreds, I think it's 400 now in Europe, uh, TPPs, third-party providers in um, yeah, in Europe. But, you know, it's, it's, it's quality over quantity. So 
Um, uh, to answer the question in this regard, I would say trigger, yes. But uh, truly API-driven banking, I would say no, because the result, the result is a large API trend, but I don't see many banks really API-driven in terms of having API-first culture yet, in Europe at least. Um, now, coming back to um, uh, what you mentioned, value and uh, ecosystems, um, if there's one takeaway for the listeners, I wish it could be this one. Product-focused companies lose against platforms and ecosystems. You know, most of us, one example, most of us remember having a BlackBerry or a Nokia, <laughs> and that was just um, a bit more than a century ago. And these two companies, they lost a massive market share to Apple and Google, as we all know. And the uh, former CEO of Nokia, Stephen Elop, he himself admitted in a internal memo, I guess, that the battle of products had become a war of ecosystems. And, you know, value is being created differently today. It's what, what, you, what, what you mentioned. We, we used to have these linear value chains, you know, create product A, sell it to person B, try to optimize the route between them. Um, and we partnered with uh, BEI Sangallen, and one of the colleagues said that that's a egocentric uh, way. Whereas the future value creation is supposed to be allocentric. So it means having these multilateral relationships with consumers, providers, contributors, aggregators, you name it. The goal is one shared value proposition. And that's exactly how most successful companies earn money today. And yep. that's what banks should do too. And, you know, banks, they used to be high cost, high revenue. <laughs> Their business model worked for decades without the necessity to really innovate themselves. No, no first principle stinking or whatsoever. And now for most of them, it's high cost, low revenue. And look, that's a bitter pill to swallow for many established businesses, especially banks, incumbent banks. And the future of banking will involve the removal of core retail banking products that we see today, in my opinion. And it will be replaced with service moments that are embedded into a customer's day-to-day -day banking experience. It's all about removing all the friction from the current banking systems. And unfortunately, pretty much every process in the traditional bank nowadays creates friction. And banks aren't really accepting this at the moment from, um, from what I know and from the conversations that uh, I had. But now is the time for them to take their heads out of the sand and up their game, up their API game. And the key shift here is not just about technology, but instead it's, you know, putting these core skills of the bank moving forward to where the, the customer really needs it. And that leads us to, um, the I think, the third topic that you mentioned, which is um, customer uh, interface or also customer touch points. Uh, because that's also one of the thoughts um, that banks might mention when it comes to this uh, regard. And I would say if you are a bank, ask yourself these two questions. One, do I really know what the future customer's touch point will be? And I, am I willing to really serve them? And second, do I want to be profitable? <laughs> and, you know, for example, flights. Look at the flight and also the travel industry. Flights are sold almost exclusively through platforms these days, with hardly anyone buying from the airlines directly anymore. Have they really lost the customer touchpoint? I would say no, because in the end, it, 
might still be, for example, the Lufthansa customer who just who just went through a different, let's say, front door, and definitely opening themselves up themselves up for platforms have made them more profitable than if they wouldn't. And it's going to be the same for banking products. We're already seeing financial portals taking an ever greater share of a customer interface. And what's for sure is that future customer touch points won't be branches and also not the uh, not the own app. Um, banks will need to fundamentally realign their business if they don't want to leave other players like platform operators or even fintechs to shape the future of retail banking. And what 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 banks currently doing is they are they're busy digitalizing their existing business model, but without real innovation. You know the digitalization it has significantly significantly accelerated many of these processes of these retail banking processes like from opening accounts to taking out loans to signing up for mortgages but most of the progress has been on traditional banking products which can now be also processed online using digital tools so um yeah i think that was a lengthy answer to these three topics no, that's completely fine. It's great that you kind of wrapped around all these answers um, around my my quite broad question. And I think actually talking to like new fintech founders in Berlin, for example, no one is really building neobanks anymore. I think that story is also over. Um, mm -hmm. That that was a market niche for number twenty six and others, um, Monzo and so on to to basically um, use really quickly um, the time to build up a, a digital bank, which is still like digitalized um, traditional banking products and put them in an app and make everything digital. And mm -hmm. now even they are still struggling to become profitable and so on. Um, so so that's still, I think overall the banking industry doesn't have the best outlook when you look at it from an overall sector perspective. As you mentioned, technology is the way to go. And all these new founders, the second and third waves of fintech founders are either going into extreme niches um, because they spotted some underserved market um, some some high willingness to pay by some by customer basis um, or customer segmentation or some some you know some segments in banking where regulatory costs are still low so you can still make money um, and scale uh, across borders but overall the new wave of founders are really building as you mentioned platforms and basically mm. new inf infrastructure a lot of I see a lot of infrastructure plays um, you know over where you basically deliver banking products over APIs in a highly contextual and tailored way which is then basically distributed by um you know by by, by third parties as you mentioned the front doors are, are also really changing mm -hmm. um so how would you then say because i i feel like this whole psd2 driven topic is somehow finished so most banks have done their homework they have launched banknamedeveloper.com so you they have opened mm -hmm. their apis um based on your experience how you know, I'm not sure if that's maybe the right angle to look at it, but how painful is this process for banks? Because you mentioned like it's a huge business model change. So um, also based on your experience for the banks that that are just still um, building up these type of developer platforms and API-based business models, how to start? What would be your insights based on the work that you've done in this field? <laughs> um, that's gonna be that's gonna be difficult to answer in um, in a short yeah. period of time. I'm 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 trying to um, to keep it brief. So basically, my team and I we we dealt with exactly this question. We went through all of this, and okay. we also released a an open banking white paper last year where we um, also spoke to lots of experts. And 
um, one of them was saying that open banking is a fundamental strategic and architectural question. Um, and banks do not just do open banking, but open banking is a framework that requires a 360-degree view of business and corporate clients and their needs. I think um, that, that's a good thing to begin with. And from my experience, uh, you asked how to start. Um, your API program could, could look like this, um, at least from, from my experience. So let's break it down to, let's say, three things. One, uh, we called it Open API. Two, partner program. And three, ecosystem participation. Um, so let's do it one by one by one. So one, open API. Um, you need to have a open management platform um, first. I mean, it's going to be inevitable. Um, mo most of the banks have um, have chosen vendors. Um, of course, you know, due to PSC2, they at some point they um, they had to get going in this regard. And um, customers who chosen who have chosen Xway, they have. Um, the good thing about this is they, that they don't have a vendor lock. So even if they um, are incorporated in any other way with uh, with Google, with their RPG solution, or with with uh, Salesforce, with Salesforce, with Mule, um, and so on, um, Xway is promoting open everything, which is also regarding the solutions. So they are able to connect your AWS services to their gateway um, and the other ones too. You know, so no vendor lock. Um, that's a, a huge, huge thing that um, speaks itself for for Axway. Um, having this management platform, I would say the next step is you you need to have a strategy and a mandate. Ideally, you have a list of services that you want available as API. So that means to have your top 100, your top 200, 500 API operations and. That's huge, that's huge. But but try to be very pragmatic about this. The way we approached this was to list all main services of Commerce Bank, proactively make a pre-selection, and then refine with the lead architects, and then resolve, and let a board member put his stamp on it, which made it mandatory to the whole organization. And based on this list we achieved our API mandate, which was the beginning of some, some kind of API first in the organization. And, you know, before having that mandate, we had to fight so many other departments, get their commitment to develop APIs. Um, that was a mess. And I believe having this API mandate was kind of a novelty back then, um, at least in the sector of German large banks. And, and the result of having this would be accelerated digitization, reduce cost, reduce time to market, having the basis to offer not only internally, but most importantly, offer services to external partners to create offerings that you couldn't create, that you couldn't create uh, your own before. I think in a nutshell, that's the idea of, of ecosystems, I guess. Um, so this is what I would call open API. Now having a partner program, let the world know that you want a partner. Showcase your strategy, showcase your capabilities, get real-world feedback, having all this feedback incorporated into your development incrementally um, and as fast as possible. Establish your, your network or establish your tech network. Um, um, get the sales employees um, involved in all these processes too. 
um, and then you will be able to create new revenue channels. Um, and this is also how uh, a few products like, for example, Get Your Credit um, in cooperation with a uh, German television um, uh, has been created, you know, where they basically used our loans API to build their own product, uh, serving many customers that uh, Commerce Bank wouldn't have reached um, if we if, if they didn't if they wouldn't have done that partnership based on APIs or uh, the securities the securities API where we partnered with wealth managers to uh, ease in their lives. So I think the the partner program um, that was also a huge factor. And in the beginning. And not everybody was a fan of my idea. And in fact, I had to fight to get to this point because people wanted to have the um, many services ready before first spreading the world and going out to the market saying, hey, we're Commerce Bank, we want to partner with you. But I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to push through because uh, it, not doing it would result in high opportunity costs to pay. So that was two partner program. And now... Ecosystem participation, you know, everybody's talking about, yeah, we have to become um, an ecosystem orchestrator. It's good to dream big, but I would say start small and most importantly, start. Um, based on one open API and two partner program, you now know how to position yourself in ecosystems. You know what you can bring to the table, what you need, who you need. You can focus on your core business, serving the customer where he needs you most. And this is where you can start about um, position, position yourselves in ecosystems. And you don't necessarily have to go for one role solely. Uh, it can be different roles in different ecosystems. So you can, in this one where you have strengths, you can try to reach out to become the, uh, the orchestrator where you have a big network already. But it's fine sometimes to just be the provider or the supplier or be an aggregator as many fintechs are doing. Um, you can be profitable and you can create new revenue channels and lots of positions that you could take. Yep, that's very interesting. I think um, a lot of um, companies are actually thinking about should we be marketplace versus vertically integrated provider? And um, I'm sure as you just mentioned there, actually it's not black and white. There can be many models actually um, existing at the same time or at least experimented at the same time. Um, and I just want to make one thing a little bit more tangible for the listeners as well, based on the great um, you know, experiences that you just explained. Um, if you launch a, a, your API platform and you already have your strategy in place, um, you launch it, how like, you know, you push the button, the APIs are online. Um, you, you, do you wait for people to or for developers to try out your sandbox and just build stuff based on it? Or how do you kickstart this? Uh, because I'm sure there's this chicken egg problem. How, how do you kickstart this whole dynamic between your API platform and then the consumers on the other hand? And, uh, and I think there are also actually, as by, the, by definition, an ecosystem has so many stakeholders from the developers that use the APIs to the business owners behind that, that also need to understand what the API can deliver then at the end of the day um, to the end consumer that will then use the final product. Um, and just to contrast this with other successful um, API or basically fintech platforms like Rapid, um, I recently noticed or, or read in one of their statements that they onboard 500 customers per week um, and they all use their API platform. And and I'm sure like, a you know, if you look at the big German banks and their API platforms, I feel like it's way more curated and partnership driven and, and it's mostly a handful of partnerships to to build up slowly and to try it out slowly. Um, 
obviously you had a strategy in place that you then just execute and and put yourself out there as you mentioned and actively sought out um, to build a, a network and ecosystem of consumers or was it more push or versus pull i would be very, very interested to hear once you launch your platform um, how do you get it going uh, yes i would i would separate this into um, two steps um, first of all i i think you also mentioned uh, developer portals i think that's that's like a basic step that you have to take developer portals are your API store window, definitely a must have. And a well-designed developer portal is key to attract and engage internal and external partners, enabling them to discover, explore, purchase, um, test, register for access, access and using APIs. You know, you have to have this. And it's, uh, it's similar to real, real stores, you're either attracted um, or you turn away real fast. So setting up a developer portal, you want to make sure that this is not a, let's say, two developers project, but rather than it has to meet the same or at least, yeah, the same uh, UX and the quality that your corporate website has. I think a lot of banks, we did um, a comparison, uh, we did um, a lot of research on, on these um, different um, uh, developer portals. A lot of banks aren't doing this. Um, uh, if, if you if you try to up your game there, um, I would suggest look out for role models. Um, in my in my eyes, it would be BBVA. Um, Deutsche is uh, is um, is pretty good. Um, uh, in the uh, if you look worldwide, maybe DBS. So the, these are probably the ones that that you want to look out for. Now, this is one developer portals. Uh, two, how do you? How do you progress? Is it push or pull? And what I what I mentioned is that we chose to really proactively go out um, because in the beginning we were doing the other way around. We were, you know, just relying on a developer portal. We hoped that people uh, would come to us just because of our big, um, at least in Germany, big big brand, you know, Commerce Bank. <laughs> so people would come to us um, with the hope that they want to partner with us. It in some parts, it did happen, but surely not enough. So you have to be proactive. I mean, if, if you want to be profit, profitable, then uh, you, should, you should be proactive. The good thing is that um, I think many aren't doing yet. So that can make a difference, at least for now. Um, and one thing that could help is the, the thing that I already mentioned, which is the partner program. I feel like many of these API units that have been launched inside banks, I, I almost see them as innovation hubs or similar to the ones that also large banks have, have launched because it's it's basically really building on the future of banking business models and um, yeah, trying to trying to find new use cases, being more customer centric. Um, most API units that I know work in, in an agile way, so they have this agile culture behind them as well. All of these things are quite contrast to how banks, like especially the large banks, are working um, or have been working the last decades, um, except for a few ones in Europe, like ING, for example, has been heavily pushing their agile transformation across all of their countries and, and different units. Um, but I would be uh, especially interested in how you then 
place the API function and you already talked about the mandate and of course maybe some listeners um, remember that same um, strategy from Amazon who by Jeff Bezos who also had this or initiated an API mandate that uh, basically told every single unit um, to open up their their interfaces so that they could be interoperable between Amazon but also then potentially to the outside world and out of this eventually uh, um, Amazon Web Services uh, came along so um in Europe, in Europe, also based on your experience, how how do you place the API um, unit inside a large organization? Because the way we've now basically framed this whole topic is that this will be the next thing in banking. Um, and as you know, big banks or like is in any bigger company that has a legacy business, there's always this big um, challenge between building the future versus optimizing and making sure you're getting still enough cash in from this from the you know legacy business um what's what's your view on how, how to make that work and how to make sure that people understand the value behind it and that it's you know something that actually helps them going forward mm -hmm. um i think that's a great observation um I, I like i like your view and it's it's again this is like different topics to speak about and also this is different obstacles that uh, could hinder you know open banking and this open transformation within a organization. Um, not everybody is able to call themselves uh, ING, <laughs> um, yeah. but, but, but let's make it clear. I've been with a very or a, a fairly large tanker. Um, and we, we also did manage to uh, do some, some kind of turnaround and really change ourselves. So if, if we are, you know, um, Commerce Bank, um, could do it, then I think other companies can do it too. Yeah. Which, which is, you know, um, you also um, mentioned it, delivery model, organization, and agile culture. So, yeah. um, where do I start? We, <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we, we did small steps in the beginning. So what we did is we established um, what what is called digital campus. So we were looking out for the main digitization projects um, and let them work in an agile way and bring people from different departments together. So we would have business and IT people sitting together in these smaller teams. Uh, okay. We we applied the Spotify model with these um, squads, and, and, yeah. squads and tribes. Yeah, this is the official definition in, in Commerce Bank. We called it cells and chapters, but mm -hmm. it's, it's basically the same thing. Um, the idea behind it is Back then, you would have uh, different teams. You would have projects. They could be IT, but most most yeah. probably um, business-driven. And then you would have the business department and the IT department. Both of them were blaming each other if something would, went, uh, would go wrong. And now, hmm. uh, you just put these two folks together, and they can't blame each other anymore. But, uh, um, yep. uh, but they have to be a team. <laughs> so that, that alone is changing a lot. And what we do is that we did these kind of... Uh, front runner or test teams to work in an agile way for one or two years um uh, i've been i've been with one of them which is the api team um and we have seen that they have uh they've been very productive and also effective and that's why uh, commerce bank did a very brave change with which is to change the, the, the delivery model for the whole headquarter. It's thousands of people, uh, thousands of people, thousands of employees affected. And all of them would be having to work in a agile way. And, you know, in the beginning, it's, um, it's 
sometimes it's just the role name changing and the culture and the thinking behind it has to you know to had to um to adapt and later on it, it takes some time but i think that w- that was a very brave brave change and um and a step that commerce bank will never regret um and the um the effect or the result out of it would be that all the things that i mentioned earlier to have uh, real innovation to have the list of all these apis that you want to build first you can only do it when everybody is doing it with you because just having one unit and then creating a top 500 yeah they can do it um, but maybe in 50 years instead of uh, in three or in five you know um, so in order to really be scalable you need to have some sort of organizational structure where more people than less are creating apis um, so that really helped and it also helps to to um, really solve dependency risk and um, all these kind of things that um, that are interacting in some sort of way to really uh, make it transparent if you have the same sort of organization because if uh, one department is having I don't know a three-year plan working waterfall and the other one is having QBRs every three months um, to align the two, Plans together is a bit difficult, but if you can if you can come up with a company wide backlog, which company has managed to do, it makes life so much easier in terms of prioritizing and really, you know, being agile and um, react to the customer's needs not only like every year but even two weekly on a on yeah. a biweekly basis. Yeah. So I think that's that's the the first obstacle that you should overcome, or it would be very helpful to do so. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, now, if you have a unit, uh, let's say you are a API unit, I don't know, 10 people or 50 people, and you want to establish this um, within your organization, then, um, well, first of all, I, I would have to say good luck because <laughs> I, I know this is, uh, there's a lot of work. Um, uh, so that's, that's basically a lot of work. But at the same time, I have to say you can't do it. Because we, we we did it too, um, and and you really have to fight through this. So it took us like, I would say, two to three years of lots of events, lots of um, hey, can you come to the department and uh, give a API talk? It started with this, you know, just going around spreading the word, um, then finding internal partners who um, who really want to work on APIs. Then you would be uh, enabling them, uh, giving them the right guidance to build APIs. Um, and then it really skyrocketed when we had that mandate, because now every department would have to challenge themselves. Hey, can I really do that on my own or do I need the help? And if you have established a good relationship as a unit with the other departments in the, in the past years, uh, now then you are able to be that a kind of internal consultant. And this is where you start to, you know, really scale within your organization to um, accomplish a much higher goal and a, a broader reach of APIs that you really couldn't do on your own with your own unit. So I, yeah. I, I'd say, I would say this is the this is where you should get started. Mm-hmm. Well, that uh, is um, already quite a lot to digest for for the listeners probably that are just uh, getting started. But um, I'm sure that all of these different factors that you um, have basically put in place now are at least or should be considered when, when starting the API journey. So I think that's already a great insight. Um, now going going to the end of the podcast, because we I think we could go on forever and talk about all of these different um, single topics that banks or basically any company should take into account when launching API-driven business models and uh, new initiatives. 
But um, what's, what's in your case, like the trends that you've seen on the market and the current adoption rates that you see when it comes to API, APIs in general and the business models behind them in the banking industry? Um, are there any specific triggers or, or, or um, factors that now shape the further adoption of API-driven um, banking use cases? Or yeah, what, what, what would be your expert uh, opinion on that? Going forward, maybe let's let's take a broader view on like the next two, three, five years. So on on a uh, on a broader view, I would say the next two, three, but even ten years, um, the core skills of bank will be around data, behavior, and storytelling. Yeah. Um, and this is you know beyond APIs. Uh, it's the ability to put the bank in the client's frame of reference as it is needed. So. Um, the old marketing and the product skills will be largely redundant and the revenue of the business will be based on anticipation and problem solving. It's really going to, and I don't want to be too harsh on this, but it's, it's going to be put <laughs> branches and also product silos under extraordinary pressure as yep. these old metrics start to dramatically fail. However, if a bank is able to respond to, um, to your basically financial needs when and where you need it. And it's, it can give you simple advice every day in uh, making decisions, then they can be very successful. And I think one of yep. the very big parts of it is going to um, be whether or not you are successfully implementing the API first. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, any other considerations that our listeners should take into account? Or, of course, you can also um, plug X-Way if you want. Um, I think, um, obviously, a lot, of, a lot of banks, or at least that what I've seen in the market, is, um, are looking for solutions, how to get going and how to really drive API-based business models forward. So, as you mentioned, um, kind of agnostic uh, API gateways and management tools are, are, um, are needed. I think um, they're on the rise. So anything else that our listeners that are um, just getting started with API-based API business models um, should take into account. So you, you already mentioned um, this is pretty much input to, to digest, yeah. I, I believe. <laughs> so I, I really enjoyed um, uh, this conversation. I hope that the listeners uh, did as well and that they had takeaways for themselves. As you mentioned, I mean, um, X-Way is... And um, that's, of course, not only me. Um, they uh, they can they can always help. They also helped uh, Commerce Bank in the past um, a lot, yep. um, and I'm sure that they can help uh, other banks, but also cross industry, other industries um, as well as as they have um, eleven thousand customers. Yep. So, um, but also, I mean, um, working with you guys, uh, I know that you are very competent, and I'm, I'm sure that uh, banks will enjoy uh, working with you and. Um, getting the help from you guys. So all in all, um, yeah, I'm, like I said, I really enjoyed it. So um, uh, if, if there's anything, I, I think, you know, there's there's so much more that you could dive deep into. Um, yeah. so, 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 so many more topics that you could, uh, that you could, you could speak about, you know, legacy culture, strategy, uh, corporate strategy versus uh, uh, incorporating the API to strategy, stuff yep. like that. Um, uh, politics, you know, how do you how you drive innovation across segments? So much more to talk about. So um, sure. either either I'll I'll be happily uh, I'll be happy to be your guest again, <laughs> or or if, if if anybody wants to reach out to me um, and have a a one to one or anything, I'm I'm more than happy to do so. 
Amazing. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks a lot for taking your time. Um, I'm sure one conclusion is that open banking and in general API based business models are definitely not done. Um, they're just at the beginning um, and the banks that are or basically all financial institutions that are just starting out and looking into how to incorporate APIs into their businesses um, that, uh, you know, I think the topics that we mentioned in this episode are basically um, a good primer on what are the overall topics and, and, and strategies that you should think about and um, how to incorporate that. So we will for sure keep a close eye on how it all develops and how it evolves. I think um, you need a you need a longer term view on, on to really see how it all progresses. But um, obviously, there's PSD3 and other regulations that will then probably come up in the future to to foster an open data economy. So it will it will stay interesting. Um, so I'm sure we will have also in the future enough to to uh, talk about and to cover. So thanks a lot for taking your time, Danya. Yeah, thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.